Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting live from UBC Point Grey campus on the unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. Today we have a packed show, so I'm just gonna get right into it. Um, we're gonna start with two shout outs and then we're gonna continue with a review of the marriage story. Um, so the first shout out goes to first, um, first Pick Home Decor. It is happening on October 19th and 20th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So what it is, is um, basically they have over 30 local artisans hand creating objects of beauty for every room in the home. Um, it's unique and high-end handmade items from textiles to plants to art on um, all on trend and of superior quality and design. So... Um, it is from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. You don't have to be there for the whole time. You can drop in um, anytime you want until 6 p.m. And um, it's really interesting. I went to the um, handmade one. That was the um, clothing one. It was really good. I'm also going to this one because, you know, home decor. I just moved. So really interesting stuff. <laughs> um, the entrance is $3. You can pay at the door, cash, really easy. Go for it. Check it out. It's October 19th and 20th at the Heritage All Hall from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And our second shout out is for Spooky Action. This is Vancouver's Leslie Telford returns with Spooky Action, her interdisciplinary dance project inspired by particle entanglement. So you might be thinking, Spooky Action, is this Halloween related? Um, no. The title comes from Einstein's theory referring to particles that are so closely linked they share the same existence, yet they could be an entire universe apart. He called the phenomenon spooky action at a distance. So this um, project, I'll say, a, is a collaborate, collaboration with uh, poet and performer Barbara Adler. So it's an interdisciplinary work. Uh, weaving together visual art, contemporary dance, poetry, and original music. It's really interesting. I'm going to be seeing this tomorrow because um, it's also it's opening tonight. It has a short run. It's until the 19th. Um, so Wednesday and Thursday. So today and tomorrow, it's at 7.30 p.m. And Friday and Saturday, it's at 8 p.m. It's at the Fire Hall Arts Center. You can find the tickets at www.firehallartscenter.ca. Um, make sure you check it out. So yeah, after these quick shout outs, we have um, my friend with me. Hello. Good afternoon. Um, do you mind? <laughs> okay, wait. <laughs> so he's here to review Marriage Story with me because Marriage Story is a part of VIF, by the way, Vancouver International Film Festival. We saw it together. And um, do you mind introducing yourself? Yes. Uh, so hello, everybody. My name is Juan Pablo Sam. I'm a film student here at UBC and I'm a huge film enthusiast. Yes, he was really excited when I said that he could come on the show <laughs> and talk about it. And I'm really excited, too, because, um, man, this was a really good movie. And <laughs> yes, I'm sure you're <laughs> excited to talk about, it too. So a marriage story. You might have seen the um, the banners of this because it stars Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. Um it is, yeah, the country of origin is USA, basically. It is a Netflix, Netflix movie, so it will be coming out on Netflix in December. Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, do you want to get to it? Yeah, so as uh, Sarah here just said, Marriage Story is a 2019 film written and directed by Noah Baumbach. Yes. He has been working in the industry for a very long time, but this is 
by far, from my point of view, my favorite film of his. Mm -hmm. um, so in this film, we see, we follow Scarlett Johansson's and Adam Driver's character, who are called Nicole and Charlie. Yeah. And we follow their story as they go through a very painful and long divorce process. So I would just like to start... Oh, uh, also, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting major spoiler alerts. So if you want to watch <laughs> this movie on Netflix, maybe um, just switch the radio or like put the volume down uh, a little I'll try I'll try to limit the spoilers yeah, sorry <laughs> so we'll limit the spoilers but like spoiler alert okay yeah, continue please. just in case <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so uh, just before I start my review I would just start by saying that this is not the type of films that I usually gravitate to mm -hmm. um, everybody has their own genres that you just prefer and you just want to watch and this is not one of those for me uh, mm -hmm. regardless uh, I ended watching the film in the Vancouver International Film Festival And I absolutely loved it. Yes. I would actually go as far as saying that it is by far one of my favorite movies of the year. And yeah, honestly, I loved it too. It was really good. Yeah, and I was really <laughs> sleepy before the movie. And um, my sleep sleepiness just went away with the first second of the movie. It was amazing. Yep, you're, you're totally right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that I just love this film because this movie is one that manages to capture real life in ways that we have very rarely seen before. Uh, what happens in this story is not over-stylized or over-dramatized because this film, more than anything else, sets to portray reality exactly as it is. Uh, the way in which the film portrays relationships is raw, it's realistic, it's, it's very, very intimate. And there is no sugarcoating at all. Um, there is no over-romanticized scenes or, or any sugarcoated moments where yeah. you would think like, hey, that moment can only happen in a fairy tale. No, this is 100% realistic and that just makes the movie way more raw and way more impactful. Yeah, what I really liked about it is that with um, Hollywood movies is in general, it's really sugar-coated. And even something like a divorce, you might not think that it's, you know, a bad process or anything because Hollywood somehow shows the best side and everything. But this movie is not like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and following that train of thought, I, I just wanted to say that most Hollywood films that deal with divorce stories or with the stories of relationship ending... What they usually do is that they pick a side. They pick either him or, or her, and they make him or her the protagonist and the other person the antagonist. No, th this film is not interested in doing that because this film, due to the fact of how realistic it is, none of them are protagonists or antagonists. They are just people with different point of views, yeah, and I yeah, just yeah. found that completely fascinating. Um, yeah, so uh, Mar Marriage Story perfectly understood the latter. And instead of picking sides in between Charlie and Nicole, Adam Drivers and, and Scarlett Johansson characters, it gives its viewers both of their perspectives in such a way that it is our role as audience members to decide who we side with. Something that is very interesting and very intriguing throughout the film. Uh, before going forward, talking about the film, I just wanted to highlight the, the trailers and the posters for the movie, which I found very, very interesting due to the fact that there are only... Two posters and two trailers. Mm -hmm. two I, <laughs> I actually didn't watch the trailers <laughs> before seeing the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but it, it's, it's very interesting, like, the, the, the way in which they decided to publicize this film. Because the two posters that are, are, they're very simple. One with the silhouette of Adam Driver's face and one with the silhouette of Scarlett Johansson's face. Mm -hmm. uh, just seeing the complete contrast in between this character and somehow how they complement each other. Um, and the trailers are the same. There's one trailer trailer showing Scarlett Johansson's point of view and one trailer showing Adam Driver's point of view. That that captures the essence of the mm -hmm. film. That's perfectly. really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, and, and, and throughout the film, we, we don't see how just one character made mistakes or how just one character is bad and the other character is virtuous. No, we see how both characters make mistakes. We get mm -hmm. to know them and we get to see both their emotional and psychological states. And this makes the movie feel way more intimate than it should be. Um, so Marriage Story, from my point of view, manages to achieve what most amazing films do. And that is that this film manages to turn its viewers into active participants instead of simply passive observers. Because throughout the film, you're just constantly judging and, and, and trying to find out whose side you're on. Or yeah. Sometimes you're on Adam Driver's side and sometimes you're on Scarlett Johansson's side. But mm -hmm. you never really know because that, that's how relationships in real life work yes yes exactly so i just want to say in the like before the movie started we had a little chat like oh whose side are we gonna yeah. be on adam driver or scarlett johansson and after the movie i mean even during the movie and after the movie i still had no idea i couldn't choose a side because i mean i guess that's real life you really don't have a side because 
if a divorce is happening, both parties are at wrong, I guess. Yeah, yeah you're totally right. Um, I just wanted to highlight the power of the first shots and the first few scenes of the film. Mm -hmm. They're just completely incredible. Apart from the fact that they serve for people, audience, and, and people who are watching the film to sympathize with Nicole and Charlie very, very quickly, mm -hmm. there, are so, there are so powerful moments that once those first scenes are over and we get to see that this relationship is actually ending, mm -hmm. we feel sad. <laughs> and yes, we, yes, we, we feel do. how sad this character should feel yeah. because those first scenes were so impactful and so good in making us sympathize with this character that it was just shocking. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, even though this film is called Marriage Story, it is actually a movie talking about a divorce yeah, story. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a divorce story. But yeah. yeah, I guess that's a interesting choice of title. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 um, totally right. And there is, I I just wanted to highlight that uh, there is a moment at the end of this film that really stuck with me. I won't reveal it just in case mm -hmm. there's someone who hasn't seen it who's yes. still hearing to this interview. Watch and um, <laughs> learn it for yourself. Yeah. It's amazing. You should see it. Yeah. <laughs> But I'll, I'll just say that there's a moment at the end of the film where you as a viewer, you start thinking like, okay, what would have happened if they would have done this yes. way earlier in their lives or all of this could have been avoided if. But just as soon as we see that moment, we realize that that's not the point of the film. Mm -hmm. We realize that the film's not trying to show us what would have happened if. The film's just letting us know that that doesn't matter because what happened, happened. And our characters, regardless of how harsh and horrible and hurtful the realities are right now, they just must keep on living and keep on going in the reality they live in. And I just mm -hmm. found that completely fascinating. Um, and another idea that the film just keeps on touching on is the hypocrisy of people that are supposed to help you through this divorce process, mm -hmm. especially both lawyers that <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's characters oh and Adam God. Driver's characters hire. Yeah, um, yeah they're um, terrific characters. I, um, I, I want to talk about the, the actors a bit later in the review, but I'll just say that it is amazing to see how both of these lawyers are trying to get their parties to win. But regardless, up to what point do they actually win? Because at the end of the yeah. day, they're just sad and feeling hurt. Yeah, they're both miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you want to talk about the characters a little bit? Yeah, yeah, the the, the characters and the performances. Um, I would just like to start by saying that, wow, what amazing performances, both by Scarlett Johansson and Adam, and Adam Driver. Yes. Amazing. They're just powerful, engaging, greedy, realistic, visceral, intimate. They're, they're completely amazing. And I would just like to highlight two scenes from the film, both monologues, one from Scarlett Johansson and one from Adam Driver. Scarlett Johansson has this incredible one-shot monologue that I don't even know how long it was. Oh my but God, it was yeah. so captivating. And you got to see her expression change and, and her emotions shift and, and tears start falling from her eyes. But you see that she's containing herself and she's not letting all her emotion through because that's, that's how people are in real life. She's yeah. not over-exaggerating her expressions, but she's being very real and very raw. And uh, similar to that, there's another monologue at the end of the film with Adam Driver uh, singing. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It was just incredible. Um, and now that we're talking about Adam Driver singing at the end of the film, I would just advise anybody who hasn't seen the film or even people who have already seen the film uh, to pay close attention to the symbolism and imagery that's hidden throughout every single frame of the film. Yes. Also, like the lyrics of the song yeah. even, it was really, I mean, everything was chosen really well. It was well thought, the details. I mean, just good job <laughs> overall, honestly. Yeah, Yeah. apart from the lyrics of both songs and what they sing throughout the film, I would also advise you to pay close attention to the different Halloween costumes that the characters oh wear my God. Yeah. throughout also, the film. Like talking about music, I just want to say the score of the movie is like really <laughs> happy and you know yeah. cheerful. And if you only heard the score, you might have think that you know it's a fun movie, uh, you know, cheery, cute, married story, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, so yeah, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson by far highlights of this film. I loved these actors beforehand, but now I love them even more. It's it, it just has been and an, an incredible year for Scarlett Johansson. I mean, she was in Avengers Endgame, Jojo Rabbit, and yeah. now she gave this incredible performance. Oh, I don't know if she was in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, she was the mother of the main kid, and, okay. and she, she also killed it in that movie. Um, but also, I would like to give a, a special recognition to Laura Dern, 
who many may know from Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. She played uh, Scarlett Johansson's lawyer in mm -hmm. this film. And she was just incredible. Yeah, Some of true. the best scenes of the film are hers. Also really funny. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, so yeah, and, and now that we've talked about the people in front of the camera, I wanted to talk a bit about the, the main guy behind the camera, who is, uh, well, the director of the film, uh, Noah, Noah Bombach. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did an amazing, uh, an amazing role being both writer and director. And I just wanted to say that um, there's a way where, in which people could interpret this film as it being sort of autobiographical, taking into account that Noah Baumbach himself has lived through two divorces, one of his parents when he was very young and one with his ex-wife, uh, who mm -hmm. was um, an actress at the time. And yeah, we can see lots of stuff from his life being incarnated here in this film, and that just makes it completely amazing and much more personal than this film should be. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly think that Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern... Um, Adam Driver, the film itself, its screenplay, that should all be considered for Academy Awards in the near future. Mm -hmm. Will they be considered and will they be nominated? I don't know. It's a Netflix movie. I have so. no clue because it is a Netflix yeah. movie. Yeah, you're, you're totally yeah. right with that. Um, but I honestly hope so. Yes. What an amazing film. So um, to sum it up, it's an amazing movie. It is, I mean, it is really good. Make sure to watch it if you haven't seen it at VIF. Even if you have, <laughs> make sure to watch it when it comes out on Netflix on December. And with that, we're going to go to a quick ad and PSA break. And then we have a pre-recorded interview. And after that, I will be back with more reviews. And I mean, not just me, Lua and Silvana. So we, we just have a lot of reviews, guys. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Um, um, bye for now. <laughs> Independent pop duo Mating Rituals will be bringing their dance rock sound to the Biltmore Cabaret on October 18th with On and Glass Forest. Get your tickets now at mrgconcerts.com or Red Cat Records. Hey, are you interested in radio? Passionate about gender issues? Want to be an active part of your community? Then join the wave and become part of CITR's Gender Empowerment Collective. We meet every Friday at 2 p.m. and we want your voice. We are all about empowering everyone and giving you the chance to speak your mind. No experience necessary. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or email us at genderempowerment at citr.ca. Hello, everyone. This is Lula, and I'm here with Sarah Livett to talk about Agnes Murderous, this really cool um, graphic novel that I just finished reading and is coming to basically a lot of places very, very soon. So, Sarah, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you could take your time to talk to us today. And so I wanted to ask you a few questions about Agnes Murderous. Well, first, mm -hmm. I love the title. I love the, the like how it sounds and the fact yeah. that it's murderous. <laughs> I know, me too. I love the word murderous. And it's funny, my, um, my grandmother was uh, always told me... Like she was very interested in my writing projects, and she was like, "You cannot call your your novel Agnes Murderous." And I was like, "Why not? She's like, <laughs> it's just too obvious. It's not a good title. I don't like the title." She was very adamant about it, but I actually, obviously, it's a bit on the nose. But you know, I love those S sounds too. Yeah, and I think giving it a little bit of it away doesn't actually spoil anything from the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I wanted to know. So Agnes is inspired by this real question mark, um, historical <laughs> question, historical character. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and I was wondering, like, what was your inspiration to take Agnes specifically and transform her into this graphic novel? Um, well, as you say, she is a character who 
maybe existed but probably didn't. Um, she is uh, someone who supposedly came to Canada from Scotland in the mid-19th uh, century and owned a roadhouse on the Gold Rush Trail in British Columbia at 108 Mile, which is near 100 Mile, shockingly, in the mm-hmm. middle of the province. And uh, she supposedly murdered many miners who were coming back with gold. Um, and she also supposedly had sex workers uh, working in her roadhouse who she also killed. And so this kind of legend has been shared at the historical site at 108 Mile. And also, like, if you look her up online, she's on different um, BC tourism websites and stuff. But so I first encountered her story at the um, historical site and found it just grisly and disturbing. And I mean, she was suppo- she supposedly murdered like more than 50 people. Um, and people originally started talking about her because, um, you know, apparently she had stolen all this gold and buried it so you could go look for it. But a few journalists have tried to find out, uh, you know, proof of her existence and there really isn't any. So the more I researched the story, like I originally thought, well, I'll take this real character and fictionalize her childhood and more about her life. But as time went on, I realized that she it's, it's very unlikely that she existed. So I felt like I could just kind of reinvent her character. Oh, that's really cool. And so this book took nine years to make? Yeah, off and on. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I discovered her story in 2011. Um, so I guess, yeah, like not, not quite nine years, but close to it yeah yeah and so how does it feel to have it finally published have it in your hands like this and is it any different than what you had imagined at first yeah for sure yeah it's great to have it in my hands one thing is that it's really heavy (laughs) it's really heavy for those of you who have not held it in your hands it's uh it's a good heavy book um I originally, I wasn't sure what it was going to look like at the beginning, and I had, um, it's, it, right now it's it's about 300 pages of comics, and, and I had originally thought that it might be a mixture of kind of comics and prose and sketches, and I had thought about having different narrators. Um, there were lots of different kind of ideas that I went through over the years, um, but, but yeah, uh, it's... Um, it's kind of developed into this black and white comic and and I tried drawing it in different materials too and then um like I had initially I was gonna um ink it with dip pens so that I was you know which is a very common thing for cartoonists to use but which is also like the way that people wrote in Agnes's time um so I thought that would be super cool and I did a bunch of pages that way and then I realized that I preferred the look of brush pens so I switched so there were all kinds of little things like that um, but yeah, it's it's a little it's a little odd to uh, have it finished, um, but it feels good. And so, why the choice to keep it black and white? Why not add color? Uh, I've I've always um, worked in black and white, and um, and I think that might change in the future. But I'm that's the I mean the the kind of the short answer is like that's how it feels most natural for me to work. Um, I don't, I don't kind of, when I, when I think about, um, Agnes, I don't imagine her in color. Uh, and maybe that's partly because like different, all the photos that I looked at for, you know, my research were all black and white. Um, and it's kind of a stark story and I like having these large areas of black in future projects like that are, you know, that I'm working on now, I might use some color, but it's, almost just feels like it's not completely the way my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does take a very interesting... Um, I think the black and white does work very well for this novel, especially because, you know, we're dealing with so many different dark themes. And mm. especially, uh, to me, I don't know if that was your intent at all, but definitely the black, like pure black... Um, squares where there wasn't any image it was just like black those moments where I just like looked at the black and I was like oh okay a moment for me mm. to think about everything that's happening right now 
so I did enjoy those pauses and breaks. It created like kind of a very interesting rhythm for me. And then my next question becomes: um, I know that is it is kind of a ghost story, and it does deal a lot with well it, her idea that coming to the new world she would leave all these ghosts behind. It's a it's a place with no history. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much do you, of it do you really think is about a ghost story and about a mental illness, or do those two kind of merge together? Mm. So so yeah so. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Agnes is haunted. Um, it is a ghost story. I don't think of Agnes as having a mental illness. Um, it's a really good question because um, that was that was maybe there were a lot of moments or a lot of motives for me to work on this story, or a lot of things that I found interesting about it. And one of the things was just kind of thinking about Agnes a lot and wondering why you would kill people, um, which is a very basic question that many people <laughs> tried to answer. Um, and I didn't want to kind of, I didn't want it to be that she was mentally ill. Like, she knows what she's doing. She makes decisions about what to do. Um, and it more kind of, to me, the question is, is it part of her nature? Like, was she born with the ability to kill people? Is it um, something supernatural? Is it something that is a result of of things that happened to her over her lifetime? So, yeah, there's like all these different kind of elements. And one of the questions is kind of like, can she escape her heritage? Can she kind of be different um, from her grandmother? Um, and... Yeah, so that's that's that was some of the things that I was grappling with. But um, I know, in, like you know, a huge influence on me was Alias Grace, and by Margaret Atwood. And when, not that I want to spoil that book, but <laughs> the way <laughs> I don't like the idea that you kind of wonder for a really long time why whether this woman um committed a crime and then it seems like the explanation is mental illness and that just felt like a letdown for me i'm like a little bit too easy um which maybe i'll regret just you know dissing margaret atwood which i obviously (laughs) i'm not trying to do but um i yeah so so for me I, i just i when I think about Agnes, I don't think of her as mentally ill. I think of her as really disturbed and troubled and, and yeah, in distress. But I, she's not crazy. I see. Interesting. Um, I don't know if this, if this is because, well, Joker just came out and it does mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. play with that. Where does it come from and where does it mm-hmm. go? And like, is it mental illness or is it trauma? And it's, you know doing things to your mind and so I think that's part of the reason that I touched on that question because it did make me think of those similar themes yeah yeah I still haven't seen Joker but I definitely need to (laughs) yeah I haven't seen it either but like I already know the trailer and everyone's talking about it so much that I I can't help but think about it yeah um and so my other question becomes this is a narrative not usually seen about the colonial period and I wanted mm-hmm. to know why was it really important to you to show this very real side of what the colonial period was like and focusing on the non-white male co- mm. colonizers? Um, yeah, thank you for asking me that. Um, when I started researching the story, um, it was just... You know, like I first found the story of of Agnes and was really fascinated by just how evil she was and and what's going on here. And then, you know, you can't start reading without that period without, you know, making like having to grapple with what was going on in British Columbia at that time. So she supposedly came here uh, during the Caribou Gold Rush. At that time, like the province was still like just kind of on the verge of 
of not being majority Indigenous people anymore. So there are more and more white settlers coming in, more white women. Um, so, you know, until that point, there were more relationships between white white men and Indigenous women, many of which were, uh, you know, definitely not uh, not consensual, but many, but others of which had evolved over time. And then there was this, like, kind of um, increase in white settlers and also... Um, increasing racist attitudes about mixing with Indigenous women and that white men should be with white women. Um, and, you know, the the rush for gold and the invasion into um, Indigenous territories and smallpox, um, like this huge smallpox epidemic that killed like 60% of the people in the area where Agnes ended up settling. So, you know, I definitely, like, I would never say that the book is, like, this treatise on colonialism or that that's, like, you know, its main theme. But I felt like I, I tried as much as possible to kind of reflect some of the, some of what was going on and that it, it, you know, there's a lot of stories about that time period that are about, like, these brave white pioneers, you know, bravely looking for gold and and triumphing and it was actually a lot more complicated and a lot darker than that um and for agnes like she has this belief uh you know she's read this this memoir by uh catherine partrail who is Susanna moody's sister who came to uh ontario in the um 1830s and she wrote a book about her experiences um and called the backwoods of Canada, and and she talked about how, you know, it's so incredible when you come to this new land uh, that you it's too new for ghosts. There's no ghosts here, which of course like completely ignores the fact that there's been people living and dying on this land for many, many, many years. Um, but Agnes is kind of fascinated with this idea because she's so haunted by her past, so she thinks that you know, I could escape to Canada and, you know, my the, the forces that are haunting me won't come with me. And so the more I wrote about her, the more I could see how she was complicit in this whole kind of concept of what, what the quote-unquote new world was like mm-hmm. and that that was part of her story. Do you think that Agnes is truly this evil character or is there more to her? I think she's really she's mixed. Um, she's it was it was weird for me because I haven't written a novel before and I wasn't really anticipating how connected to her I would feel. So I definitely, you know, I I love Agnes, but I also know that she is not good. Like she, there's, it's not like she's. I don't see her, the things that she suffers because she does suffer in the book, but I don't think, see those things as excuses for the choices that she makes. So it's like I, I have a love-hate relationship with her. And yeah, like, I mean, I think I, I don't really think that anybody is purely evil um, and that, you know, there's I, – I think that it's hard to – imagine that somebody could get to a point where they like I think if you get to a point where you're killing people like something has damaged you and that that's not any kind of excuse for what you've done but that it just makes sense um yeah so so that's kind of yeah I definitely have complicated feelings (laughs) about her and I you know I am not a murderer but there's parts of her personality that of course like I identify with like some of her anger (laughs) Without making myself sound <laughs> No, I think any everyone can identify with her at to certain extent. Like mm-hmm. actually to the like the first third of the book when the first murder happened, I was like, oh, "Okay, that's actually really justified." <laughs> in my head. And I was like, "Wait, this is not justified, but like I understand." Uh-huh. Her choices. I mean, yeah, totally. Like she murders three people. I would say, you know, definitely the first two well, I don't know. I don't want to say too much, but I, I kind of <laughs> understand. I understand her reasons for them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking your time and having this interview with us. This is a very fascinating end to the book. 
Um, I hope everyone gets a chance to take a look at it and read it. It is a very beautiful book, and it just feels really nice to hold it. It is quite heavy, Aww. but it, it's a nice it's a nice weight. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. I really appreciate that, and I I like having the chance to talk about it. Thank you so much again, and bye bye. Hello, people. We're back, <laughs> and I'm laughing because Lua made it like entered the studio right now as I said hello. <laughs> exactly on time. <laughs> okay, we're back. Um, I'm gonna. We have um three more reviews. I have a review of Mr. Jones. Um, before that, should we go to an Adam PSA break and then? Uh, you know go for the reviews later yeah yeah so we don't interrupt the reviews exactly i think so let's do that shall we okay (laughs) (laughs) bye in the context of vancouver's opioid crisis citr would like to take a moment to share some harm reduction strategies try not to do drugs alone When going out, let friends know what drugs you're taking and make sure someone has an Unloxone kit. If you're able to, get your drugs tested before taking them. Avoid mixing opioids with alcohol or stimulants. Remember that opioids can include painkillers prescribed by a doctor, and it's possible for any drugs to be contaminated with opioids. Learn the signs of opioid overdose, which include, but are not limited to, unresponsiveness or unconsciousness, inability to speak, breathing that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, heartbeat that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, skin tone that has turned blue or gray, choking or gurgling sounds. If you think someone is overdosing, call 911 immediately. Start rescue breathing and administer naloxone if you have it. You cannot get in trouble for being on drugs, so always call 911 in an emergency. For more information about naloxone kits and training, visit towardtheheart.com. Thank you and stay safe. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, This Quarter lives. Your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theatre. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of This Quarter Magazine or at rickshawtheatre.com. And we're back. Hello, that was yeah, that was a short one. So, um, I want to start with my review because it's not gonna take very long. Because okay, I have mixed feeling about this. I went to see Mr. Jones, um, which was a part of uh, VIF. So, Mr. Jones follows the story of well, Mr. Jones, who goes from London to Moscow to interview Stalin basically this is yeah during Hitler and Stalin time exactly so he has interviewed (laughs) Hitler before he wants to interview Stalin about where Stalin finds the money to you know feed everybody and because you know in London (laughs) yeah exactly because in the London every newspaper say that you know life in the Soviet uh, Union is fun everybody's happy and also um oh man i forgot um so he also goes illegally to another country which i forgot what it's called in english you know what ukraine yes (laughs) (laughs) what's it called in turkish turkish it's literally almost the same ukraine (laughs) should have gone for that one (laughs) people would have understood anyways so yeah he goes to ukraine because he has a reporter friend who was killed who was while um reporting on ukraine and when he goes to ukraine um spoiler alert he finds that there's famine everybody's dying from um famine because there's no food soviet union isn't providing food or money for them people are hungry and um, there was this one scene, okay, um, where Mr. Jones finds two kids and goes home with them because they can give him food. And he's like, hey, kids, where are your parents? They died because of hunger. And okay, but where did you Cheery. find? <laughs> yes. 
so fun. Um, where did you find this food? And then the girl goes, Polia. Mr. Jones says, who is Polia? Our brother. It's like, oh, is your brother a hunter? And then the kids just look at each other. And you understand that they killed their brother and are eating him. What? Yeah. Is that actually what Why? it was supposed to be understood? Yes, because right after the shot is Mr. Jones going outside and seeing the dead body with its insides, you know, taken out. So, um, um okay. it was really heavy. Or, I that's mean, um, intense, to yeah, say the least. Exactly. And the whole movie was kind of like this. The whole movie was really intense. Um, but like the level of intense <coughs> kind of made it good because it was really serious but like the thing is i didn't like how artsy it was trying to be so it is a like was it crude so the, okay not crude but the thing is this is a really sensitive subject matter and it was um the movie like at the end of the movie it says that this movie is dedicated to those millions who died during Stalin's famine time. And um, it is a really sensitive subject. And I think that it, it shouldn't have been like trying to be this artsy festival type of movie with the subject. I mean, yes, okay. I'm all for artsy movies, like get those weird angles and the shaky camera. <laughs> By the way, the camera was really shaky, um, <laughs> which I did not enjoy. <laughs> um, but like, this subject, I don't think deserves that. It should be more professional, in my opinion. I mean, this was a really professional production. You could see it. It was really good quality. But still, yeah. Anyways. I mean, like, the shaky camera is definitely a style choice. And it yeah. does serve a purpose. I haven't watched this film particularly. But um, it was yeah. kind of nauseating. If it's the shaky camera say. throughout, yeah, that's what I feel too. It's kind of like yeah. nauseating. Although I understand it as a choice, mm -hmm. it does feels kind of like a lot. Yeah, and it being so intense with the camera movements, mm -hmm. it must be something else. It was okay. Yeah, and that's it with Mr. Jones because I mean, <laughs> honestly, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> okay, Solana. Oh, okay. I have a review as well. Yes, what did the, you see? Um, This movie was actually, like, airing, not this past week, but the one before that. Mm -hmm. but at Viv? Yeah, at Viv. Um, can I just say I miss Viv already? Yeah. yeah I miss, <laughs> miss it. Yeah. I miss having the opportunity to seeing, of seeing so many shows. Exactly. And, like, so many good ones, although sometimes they weren't all great. Yeah. You know. like, <laughs> most of them pretty good. Um, okay, so I watched uh, The Invisible Life of Eurice Guzmão. Okay. Eurice Guzmão, yeah. Okay, that was better pronounced. <laughs> I was hoping you oh, did no, that. It doesn't have a G. It has. It's, it's just Eurice Guzmão. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it was a Bra it's a Brazilian film, and mm -hmm. it's all set in Brazil in Rio around the 50s, which I thought it was super interesting because you almost never get, like, 50s mm. in Latin America. Like, yeah. that's, that's a true. period that it's usually, like, not as represented in the media. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was really cool and, like, it had really good aesthetics because it's, like, Rio is still, like, much more, like, pristine. There's a lot of, like, nature, but there's still, like, you know, the, like, 50s. There's still, like, people going to work. There's still, like, people that already, like, you know, have, like, are well off eh, and, like, modernity is kind of, like, kicking in. Mm -hmm. um, also, like, the rise of Bossa Nova mm -hmm. and, like, all of that. Yeah. yeah Brazil in the like, 50s, I feel, is a very fantasized yeah, it's very time vibrant. period. There's definitely, like, the party scenes, they're all, like, the dresses <laughs> are pretty, everything's colorful, everybody's just kind of, like, it's very nice. It's very nice. Anyway, so, like, the story, okay, the movie is based on a book, first of all, and it's apparently... It, they made, like, very different choices uh, from the book. And this, like, I haven't read the book, so I don't know, like, firsthand. But um, right now, I'm living with a Brazilian family. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> she, like, th like, the mom actually read the book. And oh, she said, like, cool. and she said that, like, the movie was good. The book was really good. Mm -hmm. But it was very different in certain, like, aspects. Um, but anyway, the movie, 
was um well odc has this friend eh, this friend this sister mm-hmm. <laughs> um nicknamed gida mm-hmm. and they um they go separate ways because um gida runs off with a sailor from Greece. Ooh. Oh, so it's like <laughs> nobody se- nobody sees this coming. I I have to say I didn't see it coming. I was like, uh-huh. wow, that was a bold choice. But yeah, um, yeah. So like they go the separate their separate ways. But like um, Odysseus' a, a family wants like her daughter to like marry like someone that's affluent, a that you know like a like a, a sir they like mm-hmm. or something. And so she gets married while her sister is away, and um. Well, they because she's not living at home anymore. She doesn't know that Gila eventually goes back to Rio. But when she comes back, she's pregnant. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> Unprotected sex in the fifties. What is oh. that? Yeah. So like sh- uh, she comes back pregnant, and like the family, like especially the dad, is of course like you're not my daughter. You know, like totally like cuts off ties. Like, like basically throws her to the street. And you can tell, like, the misogyny that was, like, prevalent at the time because, like, the mom, like, couldn't really say anything. Everything was, like, the man's authority. And you see how, like, she's discriminated because she's going to have a child alone. So, like, the dad, like, refers to him as a bastard or, like, him or her, like, at the time. But, yeah. So, um, that was really intense in the family. And then they tell Gida that Eurydice is in Vienna. Oh, because like she's a pianist and she really wanted to go to Vienna to, mm-hmm. to study, but they made her they make her like marry mm-hmm. this other dude. Oh. So like they're both in Rio, but they each one like thinks that it, like mm-hmm. the other is in Europe, mm-hmm. and they send each other letters and it's kind of like what drives the story. So they both like. But how do they send each other letters? Like they don't send each other letters. Oh. They don't send them. Like I mean, oh they write the letters, they write but they the never letters. send them. Yeah, uh. I mean they kind of do but like they don't know where each other is mm-hmm. yeah so like how can you send like, yeah. without <laughs> having an address so like Gida sends to like the parents place and, the, and, she, and she like writes like mom if you like if you receive this if you're reading this like please send it to Vienna but like th- like none of this ever happens it's more mm-hmm. of like a diary for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see but it's a diary talking to the, like their sister because it's like the life they had before and like all their aspirations um, of like Odysseus becoming a pianist and like Gila's kind of like you know a lively one <laughs> uh, but like she gets like hit with this like being a single mom and, and like basically like doing everything herself and they're both like very compelling stories um, but and you see like the whole like you know the constant of like misogyny and like the barriers that like women had at the time but it is very good I, there was a very like surprising pri- part in the end in which like they throw in like something like i don't know that like odyssey gets like a psychotic episode in the end and it's very kind of weird but the like un- up until then it's a very nice story uh, of, of like how like those two are like juxtaposed and i think the invisible life is what means like that just represents like their aspirations and what they wanted to do but it's always like stopped by like misogyny or like structural like machismo Mm -hmm. or a simple man that is like oh you can't do that like i am the one that's providing for this family or like if you go to like play the piano like who's gonna like take over the house who's gonna like take care of the kids Mm -hmm. oh and machismo is chauvinism or patriarchy in english yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly but it is very good i would recommend like i don't know if it's gonna be in the repeats but I thought it was a very good movie to watch. And <laughs> if you look at the book, I'm sure it's probably going to be really good as well. Yeah, I think this is one of the few, one of the, the films that is going to come out in theaters, like at least, mm-hmm. you know, um, art theaters around the world. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, the film that I watched last yeah. or with was called Extraordinary, as in two words extraordinary and um it was one of the funniest (laughs) i have seen in a while it was a horror comedy oh very weird very irish (laughs) (laughs) and it was so incredibly funny like it had those moments of like such absurdity that you're just like i cannot believe someone made a film like this but it's so funny anyway it follows this um 
it's a story of this woman mm-hmm. who she has a gift to talk to spirits okay. and but she doesn't use this gift she doesn't talk about it she doesn't like it because something happened with her dad and she doesn't really explain it and she thinks that it's her fault mm-hmm. and um so what she does as a profession is she teaches driving lessons to oh. people that's and that's a very like in a very small irish town in the middle of nowhere um and what's happening just suppose so it's basically three stories that come together into one so that's her story and then juxtaposed to her is this um this um widow like a, a guy that lost his wife but his wife's spirit still lives in the house mm-hmm. and is still kind of like controlling him or like here are the clothes you should wear today or like here don't forget to like pay the rent pay the rent or don't forget you know like mm-hmm. doing like these helpful things <laughs> that i don't know it's very funny especially because anyway <laughs> okay. i don't want to spoil it <laughs> and then the third story that kind of comes into play is that um this one hit wonder star so you know those singers that have like one hit and then they disappear yeah so this one hit wonder star is trying to make a deal with the devil to create a new album that is going to be a success okay so that's where the horror kind of comes from like he's trying to like actually like make a (laughs) deal with the devil like oh my god so basically what happens in the beginning of the film that brings these three people together is that um the dad the widow the dad he finds out he his daughter is like you need to get rid of mom Mm -hmm. and so she finds out about the driver like the driving lessons and it's like go talk to her she might help you and while that happens the dude that's trying to, to trying to get the pact with the devil he accidentally kills the virgin that he had oh my god so he needs to find a new virgin and in trying to find a new virgin he ends up finding accidentally. the accidentally <laughs> <laughs> very it's very funny how it happens it's hilarious how it's accidentally <laughs> killed the virgin because like she's in a trance uh, it's so funny like i cannot spoil because it it's so incredibly mm-hmm. hilarious um and so absurd too and so they he in trying to find a new virgin he ends up finding the widow's daughter and so that's how like all of them come together Mm -hmm. again this film like if you don't like kind of comedy that is like absurd but also kind of like incongruent this is not a film for you it's i found it extremely funny because it was so like it caught me off guard Mm -hmm. in so many different parts of the film that i was like oh my god, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do this. They did this. <laughs> <laughs> and literally the end, I, I was like, you know when you laugh, scream, like laugh and scream at the same time because you're so like... <laughs> that was my reaction in the end. That's so funny. And it happened so fast. And I was like, oh my god, I was about to watch an actual horror film, but this is so much better. This <laughs> is... <laughs> amazing <laughs> and their accents their accents just adds to it like so incredibly much yeah, okay I can imagine. I, like some of the parts i just wish there were subtitles there because i could not understand them <laughs> but at the same time i was like it just added to everything i was like yeah honestly i can see this happening mm-hmm. like I, this should not happen but i can totally see this happening and so a g- incredible film the production value was pretty good um Although it did have, I think, very much on purpose, a kind of, like, lower quality at some points. Mm-hmm. And um, they did a very funny thing with taking, like, creating these um, 1970s-style films about the occult and incorporating them into the film. And, like, kind of mixing and matching with, like, starting the film with, a, like, what is the occult? Like, mm-hmm. in very 70s styles. And... Although this film is entirely set in the present, it feels very old school. It feels very like that everything is kind of set 10 years back. And then that's where I don't know if it's like, is this just the feel of this Irish town? Or is this on purpose about the film? Are these people kind of just stuck in this past? Um, And just the entire idea of ghosts that they create in the film is so funny like these are not your regular ghosts they they have personalities and they talk about how like ghosts are actually everywhere and they manifest themselves in such small ways like there's one way there's like a branch like Mm -hmm. 
okay. going back and forth. And so, it's, and then she knows it's a ghost because it's constantly doing that. Okay. But because these are so it's such small demonstrations that you don't actually like are aware. Mm-hmm. And so, like, although it was a horror comedy, it actually made me think. I was like, are ghosts all around us? And I was like, <laughs> and I do not know it. <laughs> Honestly, might be. Who knows? Yeah. At the end of the day, it felt like um, at times. It reminded me, especially in the end, of, like a lot of like Ghostbusters mm-hmm. kind of vibe, mm-hmm. which was I don't know. I I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, and so it was fun. very fun. Um, I hope this film comes out in regular theaters, hopefully soon. What'd you say? Oh, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary, right? okay. and you guys can catch it. Um, and before we go, I want to do a really quick, really awesome shout out to um, 40? forty under forty. And again, Vancouver Opera is having this promotion that they're selling. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just blanked out. <laughs> I blanked out because I was reading it. Um, 40 tickets for under $40. Oh, sorry. 40 tickets for $40 for people who are interested or under 40 and all you have to do is call the box office to book the tickets. And these are still available. So oh. there aren't that many tickets left, but they are still available. So if you are interested in the 40 under 40, go ahead, check it out, um, call them. Again, opera is a beautiful thing that we don't often have a chance to watch for a, an affordable price. Yes. And this is one of these opportunities. So don't miss out on it. And we are actually going to have a review of La Traviata um next week with serena which i'm very very excited to hear and um yeah i hope she enjoys it last year sarah can speak to it didn't you go last year what to la trafiata oh i did but it wasn't in canada oh never mind never mind (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so la trafiata for those of you who don't who don't know is the origin story of basically it's like a cinderella story Mm -hmm and um but an opera in italian that's the the gist of it yeah basically, <laughs> basically. opera in italian people sing <laughs> and again it's if you've ever if you've never experienced an opera it is definitely something you should experience at least once in your life yes also i want to say la traviata is like the opera to start uh, opera like watching operas because yeah. it's like fun and upbeat yeah, and not exactly. like yeah. dragging it <laughs> if you want if you if it's gonna be your first time La Traviata should be it well yeah. there you go <laughs> um, now you know that um, thank you very much for tuning in next week we have so much so many fun things prepared for you guys um, including the cost a review of the cost of living, yes. which we are uh, Sarah and I are watching tonight. Excited, and it should be very intense. I feel that this one I'm gonna cry. Yeah, it's about ha- caregiving, mm. and um, I'm trying to emotionally prepare myself, but like, I am not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll listen to you'll know more about it next week. Yeah, and so thank you so much for tuning in. Bye bye. See you next week. Thank you. Bye. bye.